This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that feels $158 billion richer. Well, it's not personally, but on behalf of the country, Doc. It's been a big week. I don't feel that rich. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me as always, as you just heard, is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. We've got a big week on the podcast, mate. Some macro news, some company news, and a little bit of ranting, a little bit of high horse, maybe. We'll see how the podcast eventuates, and if we have time at the end, we almost certainly will, a little bit of your mailbag as well. Mate, it's been a cracking week for people who like a little bit more money in the kick. Let's get on with it. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. This week, we had two big, big bits of news. Both kind of not unexpected, but also not exactly expected, or at least not forecast the way it might have been. Let's start with the boffins in Martin Place. The central bankers, Phil Lowe, Governor Phil Lowe and the Reserve Bank Board, decided this week that we were paying a little bit too much for our mortgages. And as of sometime soon, we'll have a little bit of rate cut relief on the horizon. The official cash rate cut by another 25 basis points from 1.25 down to 1%. That means of the six bullets it had left to fire, it's fired two of them. We've gone from one and a half to one in the space of two months. Either a great sell for the economy or panic stations. What do you reckon? Panic. <laughs> tell, me, tell me. That's a very quick podcast. And thank you for listening. No, I'm kidding. Um, what, do you, what do you make of the rate cut, mate? Uh, justified or not, worthwhile or not, uh, signs of uh, you know, the last throw of the dice or prudent activity in enough time to make a difference? Well, as, as our colleague uh, Kevin uh, Gandia said, what's interesting is that uh, how much data came in in one month that gave Lowy the um, <laughs> the confidence that he, or the data or the whatever he needed to cut by another you know uh, two five basis points? Do you know what I, so, that is the question? I, I I would love to be on the inside. We know that there's so much data out there. They've seen it all, of course. But something changed. So two months ago we were at one and a half, and the RBA had to that point said, "Look, we're pretty balanced. We've kind of feel comfortable." Two months later, they've gone twice. Yeah. And Lowe was also calling the government to spend a bit more money, and we'll get to that in a sec. But there is some sense that something either has changed, or the data's changed, or frankly, Lowe's perception or the board's perception of the economy's changed, or something's gone on, either at headquarters or out and about, out and about that's convinced them to cut rates twice in the space of 31 days. Yeah, I, I find that actually, I find it very hard to believe that there's data. Actually, I, you know, I was, right. I've been very appreciative of or, or uh, glowing in my um, um, uh, in my review of what he's doing. And You've been I have, a big uh, Governor Lowe fan. Yeah, well, I'm going to give him an F now. Oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, because I just think that, you know, either... Uh, this is like a panic station type of, you know, think like, you know, okay, nothing is working. It's a signal that, okay, the economy is really in, mm. in difficulty and therefore mm. we need to cut. Um, and maybe the government government needs to do, maybe this is a, this is like a political move that you are, you know, <laughs> saying, okay, the economy really, really is in trouble. Mm. And therefore I'm going to cut twice in a row. And now you, the government should do something. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I just find it, it's hard. I mean, you know, if the data was such when the first rate cut was done, mm. um, that suggested that we needed more of a stimulus, then maybe they should have done like you know a double cut at yeah. one go, which they didn't. So fifty basis points in yeah, one go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I could, I would buy that. Right. So, so, so I have hard, hard time buying this. The other thing that I think about the rate cut is, um, 
so it's it's an it's in a way it's suggestive that the economy or or what he's basically saying that he wants the rates or not the he's going to cut rates until he can get the economy's uh, under, uh, you know unemployment rate below five uh, percent. Mm. So match up with uh, you know, what what's happening in the U.S. and and the U.K. where the unemployment rates are well and below four mm-hmm. percent, right? So he's willing to cut more, uh, is what he said. Um, the the thing that I'm not sure is that if if this cutting of the rate actually does that job, that's number one. Um, and uh, I, I think there's there's a side effect too that I think um, I'm worried about. So as as you cut the rates, you you're reducing the amount of money people get on say things like deposits, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right. So, exactly. so so you're reducing money for one side, you know, mm-hmm. let's say the retired people who have, who were actually spending now they have a little bit less to spend in mm-hmm. that sense, right? So that has an impact, right? So and the other impact to consider is as you cut the rates. I mean, ultimately the banks are not going to be able to. Most of the banks did not pass, except for ANZ, which you know got a lot of flack <laughs> last time for not passing. Um, that was almost certain they're going to cut this time. But interestingly <laughs> enough. And maybe it's because it was a second cut in a row. But as you say, the rest of the big banks didn't go and was they got nowhere near the grief this time. It, I think ANZ went first and yeah. went soft the first time. Going out first with a, with a partial cut really put them in the crosshairs. Yeah, I, I have to think they'll probably, hopefully, signaling to the other banks that, hey, we're not going hard. You guys don't need to either. Yeah. This case, they went full and early. The other banks didn't. And I, I've got, I feel a little bit – I very really feel sorry for banks, but I feel a little bit sorry for ANZ. They got – rounds of the kitchen a month ago. Yeah. This time the other three banks hardly got touched. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the I think this is basically acknowledging that right? we have gotten to the point where the rate cuts are going to have less and less impact in terms of reducing yep. rates. And the, and the governor has actually said exactly that, right? Yeah. There's limited he's got limited capacity now each rate cut. And it makes sense if you cut from 7 to 6, the, the quantum of that's pretty big. big if yes. you cut from 1.5 to 1, yeah. If you the, the, the way interest rates work, the compound value of 1.5 and the compound value of one are just pretty close together, right? If you're yeah. compounding at six or eight, the difference of that over 30 is actually massive. Yeah. The difference between one or one and a half or even one and two over that period of time is just much, much lower because you're not getting that compound effect that we talk about all the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think that there are, so, so there are a couple of things, other things happening, which which is, again, like, you know, if the rates stay this low, or mm. ultimately the net interest margin or the amount of money that actually the banks make on the lending and the mm-hmm. borrowing is going to shrink, which means the bank's profitability is in, in question. Like right. There are reports out already saying that, you know, next year's profits are going to look really bad for the banks. Mm. Um, that, in, in turn, has impacts on those people who have bank shares and a lot of other shares that pay dividends and so on, because mm-hmm. dividends might get actually cut. Yeah. Right. So uh, I don't know how this thing is actually overall. I mean, there's there's a limit to cutting that yep. um, that needs to you know be. Invented. And then the other the final thing that I think is that if we I think we're getting used to too much of a low interest rate environment, mm. which I think in the long run is actually not good. Well, the bank had done nothing for three years. And I saw Stephen Kakoulis, the economist, tweeted yesterday, the day before. This is this is some people saying oh, it's the you know first two cuts in this cycle. He made the point that actually no, it's been a seven or eight year cycle of cuts. Yeah. And in fact, it's really been that you know the current cycle, the current um, what do they call it, uh, super cycle or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, just the, the the current path from high to low. That this kind of cutting cycle is now seven or eight years long. Yeah. That's you know. Uh, it's a kind of well, so a quarter of the average loan length. So if you kind of flow that through the economy, somewhere around twenty five percent of people have experienced nothing other of mortgage holders have experienced nothing other than falling rates, and then as you yeah. say, low rates. So yeah, so I, I think there's there's some psychological issues or you know behavioral issues that are going to come into play because of this. You know, people are going to assume that this is what the normal is when this is actually definitely it does not look like the normal. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I'm actually not. 
<laughs> well, I like the extra money coming uh, in, 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 into, into the bank. You're account. not donating it back. Uh, no, I'm not. Oh, why should I donate it back? Right? <laughs> I mean, I didn't get the 158 billion, right? As you said, <laughs> but 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 I mean, I I just you know think about it. I I just I just don't like the sound of this, and mm. yeah. So I'm not a happy camper. As I said, I've given him an F. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure he doesn't need my grading, but <laughs> <laughs> so. But yeah, that, that's uh, that's my view on this. I'm going to be I'm be a little less scathing than you, mate. I I am reminded of one of our former colleagues, uh, Morgan Housel, who was talking about. I think I must have seen Ben Bernanke back in the day. It might have even been Janet Yellow, somebody. Um, just the extent that whenever we criticise central bankers, we kind of assume we're right and they're wrong. And the chance that we actually know more about central banking than them, and I don't mean you and I necessarily, I mean anyone who's having a view on this, um, the chance that you know we're kind of more qualified, more informed, more able to make a better decision. I'm always reminded that we just need to be a little bit careful when we bag those guys because they kind of do this for a living and they've spent you know literally decades learning about the art and science of central banking. So I'm, I'm a little less prone to rush to judgment on, on either side of this one. I, I think to some degree too... I kind of I agree with part of your point, at least, that in the sense that they obviously felt like they needed to go and go hard. And whatever whatever kind of stat or data scared them into this, um, I think scared's probably almost the right word. They obviously knew the, the negative implications, right? They knew it was going to hurt pensioners. They knew it was going to potentially cause side effects down the road in terms of, as you say, people borrowing more than they otherwise could afford to pay at higher rates or simply getting used to paying lower rates and not having the same psychological kind of... Um, uh, defences or, or, or preparation for when rates go higher again, I've got to feel he looked at that and said, you know what, despite all that, this is still what we need to do. Net-net, this is still the best course of action for the economy. I have been and continue to be scathing of government, and I'll, I'll throw, I'll say politicians rather than government because I don't want to be political about it, um, but the governments have been, even back in Glenn Stevens' time, he was calling for the governments to spend more money to stimulate the economy, to kind of do more than, more than you know, more than the RBA can. I kind of use the analogy... It's a poor one, but you know the RBA is flying a biplane with with a, with one machine gun kind of button on the front, uh, and and the um, the government are flying a modern fighter jet with you know controls and dials and switches and levers. Governments can do an amazing array of different things in different areas with different durations. The RBA has got one <laughs> one button to press, one lever to pull. Right, either rates go up, they go down, or they stay still. That's all that Governor Lowe can do, compared to the the federal politicians of both stripes who can choose to stimulate or otherwise the economy in a million different ways. So I, I feel a little bit sorry for the central bankers because they're being, well, and this is kind of a global thing, right? They're the, the adults in the room where politicians globally are saying, oh, I don't know what to do. You guys kind of fix it over there. Um, now we're in a situation where the central bankers have kind of done what they can and, and maybe even more than they should have had to, as you say, because the polys have been asleep at the wheel. You're saying out of that one, aren't you? Um, <laughs> all I'm saying is that I know nothing about central banking. But that doesn't mean that I can't say anything. <laughs> no, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree so with that. that basically means that I can, you know, say whatever I want <laughs> with zero consequences. <laughs> That's the best place to be, right? Yeah. Much easier to be in the cheap seats over so, here, you know, throwing popcorn rather than having to be on the, yeah, in the arena. You, you know, I can give my opinion, which counts for nothing. And, as, as does uh, mine, as does uh, mine. Uh, and, uh, you know. You mean uh, Phil, I didn't call you or I to ask what we should do with rates? <laughs> yeah, he didn't call us. Phil, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, feel free to give us a call. You can hit us up on Twitter if you want, Phil. We can, we're happy to, you can even direct messages mate our, our dms are open you can message us and ask us ask us what you should well, do well, next you well, know well. but for my advice i i would like to be paid <laughs> oh you're a hard man <laughs> no, you're not gonna do it with national interest out of the goodness of your heart to help your fellow australians oh, i don't know i mean I, I understand the governor is paid well for national interest i mean you know if it's national interest you should be working for free so um yeah, he's but, not working free so here's either. the other thing right free advice is dangerous yeah so 
So worth exactly what you pay for it, I've heard. Hey, yeah. So, you know, I, if I am paid and I'll give my very worthwhile <laughs> advice. <laughs> very good. Which is not to say this whole podcast is, is useless because we don't get paid to do it, right? I didn't say anything with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking about governments, Doc, I mentioned at the top of the show that we're feeling $158 billion richer. Not necessarily you or I individually, maybe not even maybe not even our listeners as a group. Although I'd like to think all of Australia's listening to us. That might be too forlorn, I hope, is it? Uh, I heard people uh, well, don't people from outside Australia listen well, to there us? There you go. Yeah. So we're even bigger. Huge. We might have a thirty million person audience. We're huge. Doc said we've got thirty million people listening to us. That's awesome. I'm gonna quote that. Uh, <laughs> Oh, man. Early tangent. Mate, $158 billion worth of tax cuts either have been or are about to be passed by federal parliament. It went through the House of Reps. I don't know if it's been through the Senate at the time of recording, but if not, it'll be very, very soon after because apparently from all reports, the crossbench in the Senate has agreed to support the government's tax plan. All three phases, the ones that go out to 2024 or something, which frankly is one or two terms of parliament away, but such is politics these days. Um, $158 billion bucks. The Interesting thing about this one is normally governments announce tax cuts from a point in time in the future. This one's actually going to be backdated. So it'll actually apply to the 2018-2019 financial year that just finished, which is kind of cool because it means we're going to get a tax cut for money we've already earned. Um, that, you know, it's nice to kind of have on the way through. Here's the here's the story. So basically the way the tax, it's, it's a low and middle income tax offset. So if you're listening, well, you are listening by definition, but as you're listening to this, I'll just go through some numbers and then Doc will ask for your thoughts. If you earned under $37,000, you're going to get 255 bucks back when you do your tax return. Now, I don't say back necessarily. You won't necessarily get the cash. If you have a tax debt, it'll come off your tax debt. If you're getting a refund already, that'll be an extra money you get. But effectively, you'll either pay 255 bucks less tax or you'll get 255 more than you would have otherwise. Either way, you're ahead by 255 bucks. If you earn between thirty-seven and forty-eight thousand dollars, you'll get somewhere between two hundred and fifty-five and a thousand and eighty dollars. If you earn between forty-eight and ninety grand, you get the full thousand and eighty bucks back in the kick. If you earn between ninety and one hundred twenty-six, it starts at one hundred uh, sorry thousand eighty and goes down to zero by the time you get to one hundred twenty-six thousand bucks. And if you earn over that, well, you don't need a tax cut. Good luck to you. You've done well. So that's that's the broad numbers. Most people. Getting something, the vast bulk of taxpayers getting thousand eighty because that's roughly where the most taxpayers are between that forty eight and ninety thousand bucks. So, mate, decent amount of cash. Some people say it's a little bit reminiscent of the old GFC cash splash, the Kevin Rudd, Wayne Swan cash they threw at us to try and make us spend and keep the country out of recession. I they got plenty of grief for that, and in some quarters justified because it was a little bit untargeted and it kind of got thrown all over the place and there was pink bats and school halls and all that sort of stuff. And again, we'll have people listening to us who either love or hate individual parties and they'll have their own views. Broadly speaking, though, I'm reminded that that quarter, the Australian economy grew by 0.1% after going backwards the previous quarter. So there's a decent argument to make that whether you like it or hate it, it kept us out of recession, which leads me to the question, is this enough to keep the Australian economy from some of the worst of what might otherwise be coming? So I, I don't have an answer for that. And Actually, what I like about this is it targets um, those taxpayers who are most likely to need the cut. So that, right. I think that that's a tick in my book. Yep. Um, I'll tell you what's not a tick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, the government for ages actually has been spending what I would call 
Uh, and many governments around the world have this tendency. They have a tendency mm. to spend on things that they think are going to give, give you immediate benefit, which everybody likes an immediate benefit. <laughs> the sugar <laughs> but, rush, mate. It's all about the sugar uh, rush. Yeah, but, We've got but, kids. <laughs> no, but, you know, I'm going to just go on a bit of a tangent and go, go, onto the, uh, go to the ASX, right? Tech sector in the ASX is less than 2%. Yes. Right? Uh, and why is that? It's because the government has not spent enough money to encourage sort of, you know, disruptive and other sort of technology building innovation, mm-hmm. you know. So, and those take, take time actually to to develop, right? right? So you need to spend today for getting the benefit 10 years from now, right? That's what, So, I mean, we can, you know, I know the conversations, for example, you know, people like to talk about tax and we, we you know, the conversation is, okay, we need to tax Netflix because, mm-hmm. you know, Netflix <laughs> is taking... <laughs> Okay, that's fine. You know, Netflix is not doing anything illegal currently. I get it that you want to digitally tax. I get it. But, you know, it's a little bit of a, it, to me, it's a little bit of a winch complaining in the sense that, you know, uh, can we not just have the Netflix here? Let's have our own Netflix and then, then everybody can, then we can have the tax and Ausflix. 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 Right? So, so I, I am all for, I think we need to do a little bit more to, you know, get the Netflixes of the world. We need more mm-hmm. Atlassians. Mm-hmm. We need more, you know, other companies like Elmo's and stuff here. And mm-hmm. I think that was where I would like them to actually spend a little bit more. For those who don't know, Elmo's not the three and a half year old Sesame Street character. Yeah, no. about the, the HR software yeah. company. So like, you know, and and and, and the one one in 1.8% 1. that we have that we call uh, tech sector also lists a lot of New Zealand companies, right? Why aren't they here, right? I mean, you know, they, they could have been companies that are actually instituted here that create jobs here and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So I think that is, is something that I think should be rectified. Mm. Um, otherwise, we risk the chance of being an old economy. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that what the government is doing is fine. Maybe it'll help us out of recession. We're not in recession yet. So, I mean, you yeah. know, so, so if you're not in recession, there's not really need two quarters of negative growth, right? Um, so we haven't had the first quarter of negative growth yet. So uh, maybe this does the trick. Um, and, yeah, you throw that on top of the RBA's kind of yeah. rate cuts. Hopefully the, the headlines have been a bit positive. Hey, we've all got a bit more money in yeah. our pockets. Maybe we go and spend. We've said this before. The economy is a confidence machine. Yeah. And frankly, it's not going to matter. $1,080 is both not enough and more than enough to keep us out of recession. Because it really depends on how we otherwise think about it. If you think the economy is going to go into recession, you're going to save the 1080 bucks, you're going to put it away for a rainy day, no more money goes into the economy, and we go careening off a cliff. If you think, great, I'm so glad, the economy is obviously fine, we're all okay, now let's go and spend all that money. I spend it at your shop, you spend it at my shop, we both spend it at someone else's shop, and the economy goes around the economy, the money sorry, goes around the economy, they reckon up to six times. So for every dollar of stimulus or input into the economy, they reckon up to six dollars of economic activity is generated because I spend it with you, you spend it with someone else, they spend it with someone else, they spend it with someone else. That, in theory, boosts economic activity. That's certainly what the RBA and the government are hoping. Remains to be seen if we feel good enough about the economy to keep spending or whether we batten down the hatches because we fear there's worse to come. And I think there's the, the jury's kind of split on that, right? There's a, there's a decent number of people who are concerned um, and a decent number of people who, are, as you say, and I agree with you about these tax cuts, they are targeted at the people who are most likely, not only who need it most, which is important on a social, personal level, but economically on the people who are most likely to spend it. If you go and give, uh, let's pick someone, um, what's his name? Anthony Pratt owner of Vizzy Industries, richest man in the country, give him another thousand dollars. He's probably not going to spend it. He's probably he's probably got more than enough already. He's you know he's already spent everything he's going to spend. He'll put that in the bank. There's no more economic activity created. Now you can argue about whether it's fairer or not for for taxes to be higher or lower for different people. That's not we're going to, not getting that argument yeah. today. But you know he's not going to spend it. If you give a thousand dollars a thousand dollars to someone who's living on the streets or or in rental stress or mortgage stress, 
who can't pay the electricity bill, who otherwise, you know, might go and buy another pair of shoes for the kids, that stuff is going to go straight into the economy almost entirely. So it's got the most chance of having the best possible economic impact. And that's probably a, a good thing, I think. No, I agree. I, th- I think uh, I think I, I like targeted, uh, you know, tax benefits. And these are not really, mm-hmm. I would call them benefits and calling them tax. Yeah, I think the, t- the targeted stuff is, is, is absolutely good because it, it, it does a social good and I think it has an economic mm-hmm. impact of it. So, so That's a pretty good combination. Yeah, it's a, it's a good combination to have. So, yeah, I, I really like that. But I'm going to throw you, you know how we like tangents on this podcast. Mm. I'm going to throw you a question because you, you talk about the extra investment in, in, in science and tech. And you and I have had some disagreements around the edges on some of this stuff. So mm. I'm, not going to, I'm not going to argue with you, but I will throw you the outright question, which is if you were in charge of policy and you were in charge of industry support, assistance, call it what you will, investment, um, big, big kind of you know lumpy kind of tough area to get your head around. How do you think about how much money – and let's move just away from tech specifically. You can talk about that if you want. But if you're in charge of policy, how do you work out how much cash you can put – and how much is too much? How long is the piece of string? Where do you where do you start and stop with that kind of investment? If I was treasurer for a day and you said, we need money for the arts or for sport or for science or for research – and I said, well, how much do you need? So X dollars. I said, well, why why not two X or half X? How do you, how do you think about how should the government think about the, the kind of the way to think about policy in that context? It's a really lumpy one, right? I can say, well, welfare should be X because this is what it takes to rent and pay for food and live, and I get that bit. We can say, well, this is how much a swimming pool costs to keep up, so we've got to have that much for that in our council rates. Those things are really easy to do. The kind of kind of you know the really rubbery kind of fuzzy future possibility stuff. How do you think about how much the government should invest in those kind of areas? Yeah, so it's a hard question to answer. So maybe so I'll, that's I'll, why I asked you, mate. <laughs> so, so I'm going to I'm going to try to qualify that answer with some examples, right? So, right. so maybe internet, for example, is one of the you know the greatest inventions of modern kind. Yeah. Right? Now, if you think about where the internet came from, it came from uh, DARPA, which is mm-hmm. basically defense research uh, out of the US. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that happened, you know, you could say that I'm basically telling a story or I'm basically connecting uh, dots and making some conclusions. So uh, I don't have scientific evidence to back this, but I'll say this. So, that it's, you know, 1969, 1970, um, DARPA created the Internet. Mm-hmm. The Internet then was initially a military operation or right. a military thing. And then it got uh, it spread to a few universities in the U.S. Okay, Some of the greatest companies of our time mm. actually came yeah. out of products of those so People who were doing PhDs at, you know, some of the top universities, like mm-hmm. four or five of them, you could see that these people basically went on to create, you know, th- the great companies of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Why did that happen? Because they got exposed to some technology before anybody else, right? The rest of the world basically did not see the internet as we know it mm. until like 1990s. Like, right. I mean, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The, you know, as we know are, it today. Yeah, yeah, as we know yeah, it today. Yeah. Basically, so... So that is a 20-year leap mm, ahead. Mm, mm. Uh, some, in some cases, 25, 30 years. That's an extremely difficult. That's where all the internet technology companies are in the U.S. Right. right? And it's been very hard to beat that. Mm. Right. We can complain about taxes. I said, you know, I think complaining about taxes and <laughs> the digital taxes is basically whinging about stuff. That no, other we, people, we can make a podcast about that for years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I think it's basically whinging about the wrong thing. No. Right. So there's nothing inherently in Australia that would say that, you know, we can't succeed, right? Sure. But I think we have not been given the right um, the mm-hmm. combination. I'll give an example. So in, in audio networking technology, mm-hmm. Australia is the world leader. It's a small company called Audinate. Mm-hmm. It was spun out. So Audinate and the code is AD8 for those AD8. following along at home. Yeah. That company was spun out of an Australian government research funded organization called mm-hmm. NICTA, mm-hmm. right? It was one of the first spin outs. 
And, uh, you know, Twitter is nearly a billion-dollar company employing so many people. It's very cool tech, too. It's very cool tech, right? So I think, you know, take Atlassian as an example, right? Mm. There's another company that was, you know, created in Australia. So I think I think we can, but I think we need, um, you know, research funding and R&D funding with mm. long-term horizon. You can't expect returns to happen immediately. In this thing, returns don't happen immediately. Right. And there's right. the flow-on effect that and I use the internet as an example, and maybe we're not going to invent something that's like the internet. But the flow and effect of the internet has been humongous, yeah. right? I mean, you know, oh, it has it, yeah. well, people listening to this now on internet-enabled devices. I mean, exactly. our podcast wouldn't exist. This podcast alone is enough to justify the U.S. Defense Department's investment in the internet. Exactly, oh, internet, Uber, <laughs> anything that you use right, today, right, right? Right, it has been enabled well, by the internet. You mentioned Uber. <laughs> Another thing is, I don't want to get you off track, but GPS. Yeah. came out of U.S. military, right? So without that, Uber, Uber could be an app on your phone, but it couldn't know where you were. Right. You wouldn't know where you were. Yeah. It's the GPS combined with the internet that makes yeah. that possible. So, I mean, you know, I think like a policy that says a small, small percentage mm. of your, um, you know, whatever is it, government budget, GDP, yeah. or whatever you yeah. want to say, yeah. however you want to do it, but a small yeah. percentage that you devote on a long-term basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you, you know, you reap the benefits out of that. And I think, you know, I think that helps you when the world is moving towards tech, because if you think about it, you know, if, if you, if you use Google, Google's duplex as an example, right, this is the, this is the technology where the AI basically talks to you. So it, it takes, <laughs> very cool. takes restaurant reservations. Yeah. Imagine if this becomes the uh, uh, becomes actually feasible technology. Mm. How many jobs actually basically could disappear? Because yeah, you right. know companies are going to you know because restaurants are going to basically say I don't need person to take the call because mm, I'm going mm, to use mm. Google Duplex. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Right? So as so, as restaurants, right? If that does so work, I'm that just becomes a, it, huge. It's huge. Every, right? every it, well, I say every call center, but a whole heap of call centers. That sort of stuff starts to take over a, a massive amount of otherwise kind of relatively routine tasks. Right, and think about the small business sector. Right, small business sector in Australia is huge. Right, mm. but all these people, all the small businesses have a front desk basically taking calls right, right? right. well those could disappear mm. right so I'm not you know fear-mongering here but I mean what I what I think is that you know we need to um, invest and we need to train people so that they are you know prepared for mm. and then there's again as I said there's no reason that we we would be behind you know we have some of the best uh, you know the best weather the best food mm-hmm. the best location the, you know the best animals the best flora <laughs> fauna we've got the best sharks too so- mate there's no platypus anywhere else just quietly the platypus is ours and we're claiming it it's the most unlikely animal in the world and it's ours well, the kangaroos. And, I mean, again, I, I just think that there's no reason for us to be uh, behind on those things. No and kind it, of the best tech, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, 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 why shouldn't we be doing it? Would you? Would you? Um, so, my my take on this would be: if we, if the government was to fund it, then the government should swap the funding for some sort of equity stake to make sure that the the, the taxpayer gets some sort of. I mean, obviously, the, the economy grows, so that's its own return. But also, the, the government gets some sort of upside. If we had, as Australian government, ten percent of Atlassian, for example, or, or you know, an X percent of, of Ordinate or something else, is is that the sort of is that how you might otherwise get some money back from that, or would you just simply be happy enough with the GDP growth? No. So, so, so to, to your point, that was exactly the model. So the the government directly did not own a stake, but the government via NICTA. Because right. which was NICTA was government funded, sure, which NICTA sure. then became part of CIRO. So, I mean, we, it's not that we, the government doesn't do. What I'm saying is that so CIRO, mm-hmm. for example, has a stake. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether they've sold it now or not. Yeah. But um, they did have a stake along with the founders in okay. the business, right? Sounds like a pretty good model, right? That's a very good model. Risk sharing. Right? It's, in a, it's in a risk really sharing. Way, yeah. and, and it's, it's a great model. But I'm just saying that, you know, there's more of that can be done. And if more and, and more with consistency. Because, you know, having having worked in these environments, I know that every four years, basically, there's a struggle. Oh, are we going to get funded? You know, are we going to get money? <laughs> are we all going to be, f- uh, you know, fired? Oh, um, right. uh, <laughs> you know, and that is not the environment in which you can actually succeed. It's amazing that the success actually is happening. Funding in that. cycles are mad. 
mad. I mean, ABC, very, very different thing. But yeah. same kind of problem, right? We have to go back to cap in hand every three years and say, can I please have some more money? It's madness. It's madness. So I, I would say that this is, if if government of both, and again, the politics on both sides, fund this, these things for like, you know, whether you, yeah. for ABC again, again, world-class institution, mm, funded mm, for mm. like 15 years. Yeah, right. Yeah, funded yeah. for 20 years. So sort of guaranteed them, funding, yeah, yeah. Two decades of funding, right? I mean, we can afford that. And, Vote you know, one and Irban Mahanti. He well, will... Drag us kicking and screaming into the 21st century in a, in a positive way. Mate, thank you for that. Massive tangent. I didn't warn you about that, but I, I think it was a really interesting kind of conversation to have and hopefully a good one for our for our listeners as well. Let's move on away from the government. Oh, I was going to say, was some, from the sublime that's, to the... Maybe not sublime to the ridiculous. That's maybe not a good from, segue. It's not Captain, great, you it? can do better. All right, stand by. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Okay, from the sublime to... No, it didn't get any better. All right, let's just move on. Mate, we, we, we talk about Vocus a little bit, and we're not going to spend too much time on it because, frankly, it's been such a, a basket case of a, of a story over the last couple of years that not many of our listeners probably own it anymore. Maybe some do, hoping that against hope maybe things will get better. They haven't. <laughs> no. <laughs> so so Vocus has had more marriage breakups than... Who's had more... Uh, one of, one of the socialites, somebody important. I'll come I, I, I we'll don't fix like, that in post-production. I, I don't like to put names, you know. What if they, su- <laughs> what if they sue me? <laughs> Although if they sue me, they have nothing to get. Oh, so. Talk about being left at the altar. So we've talked about Vocus being left at the altar plenty of times. <laughs> Luckily for them, maybe, I don't know if it's lucky or not, it wasn't that this time. Mm. This time, it's all about the business itself. And maybe this might explain why it's been left at the altar a couple of times. The future is going to be pretty tepid for Vocus from the sound of it. <laughs> Yes. So uh, I, th- I think the forecast uh, for, for 2020, again, this is a forecast, right? I mean, uh, how good is the forecast going to be? Um, oh it's it's basically, um, you know, in the identical band predicted for um, for 2019. So basically no growth. Oh so the, the best they can, the best they, they, they want us to expect, the best is going to be flat. The best is flat. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. And and the re- retail internet oh, side basically is is you know is not doing well, well, which is which has been a pain point for many others. But yep. you know, uh, yes, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I suspect that's probably the lack of earnings growth and the potential actually maybe to even sell off businesses or parts of the business is what has scared all these people off from the altar. Plus a heap of debt. Plus a heap of debt. Mate, so okay, now without going down too many more tangents, retail internet you mentioned. It, for the longest time, the Vocuses and the Amcoms and M2 and TPG and IINet and Telstra and Vodafone, or it was not relisted, really but Vodafone Hutchison was, Optus, I mean, plenty of these businesses, there, were, there was a pretty good five or six years of just kind of hyper growth for these guys. And I'm curious now, looking back, it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, well, we should have known that or should have known this. But just diagnose it for me for a second, because there's probably a, hopefully a teaching moment in this somewhere. It, did... did were investors right and then wrong? Uh, do we do we expect too much for too long? Should we have seen a kind of a flattening of growth coming? Uh, was this mismanagement by the companies? Was it the market that fell over? If if you'd have diagnosed kind of the, the story, obviously a lot of people made a lot of money. Vocus was a two dollar stock, then was a twelve dollar stock, now is a three dollar stock or something. Um, and and some some I won't say mismanagement because I don't want to get sued by anybody, but probably some management missteps. Maybe I can say um, in in that as well. Just kind of try and give me a quick potted kind of view of that. Five, six years later, the promise has been fulfilled in large part. The The fiber build-out is done. We've all got relatively decent broadband. We won't get the NBN conversation. But, you know, most of kind of what was expected has almost come to pass in a big picture story. But investors have, by and large, gee, I, I want to say if you looked sort of three years ago and then today at all those companies, investors have probably lost money overall over the last three or four years. 
Yes, that's a good question. And and I mean, you know, at at your service, for example, share advisor, right? I mean, uh, we've made. Oh, uh, yes, okay. Know, I didn't. Telstra's not beating the market. No, fine. but but no, but <laughs> but, but, but for, for putting Telstra aside, all the others that were basically part of this, you know, land grab sort yeah. of thing that was going on, mm. um, you know, those made money, including you know a couple of wrecks to even TPG, right? Yes. There's a two 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 nods to TPG that yes, actually yes. made money. So 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 I think in in. There was this period of aggregation, right? Mm-hmm. So when we had all these small players, there was this opportunity for the small players to be aggregated under the bigger hood, which and then you could remove some costs mm-hmm. and you know, so some synergies, some costs, which basically gave you growth, right? And in some cases we had I think Vocus was strong on the East Coast, and Amcom was strong on the West Coast, so that kind of gave them a national network and Right, right. Right. And and now and then as we shrunk to like, you know, four, three, four big mm-hmm. players, basically that you know, we've basically gone down to population growth <laughs> growth opportunities. Right. right? right. Um, what I think did not happen fast enough was the PEs. Mm. You know, the PEs were in, in like so PE being price to earnings ratios. They they were, um, ha- they were they were they were high for when the aggregation was happening, which made mm-hmm. sense because you know there was this growth to be had via uh, putting things together, yeah. uh, synergies, and and in here I actually there was real synergies to have, as you said, East Coast mm-hmm. West Coast, right? And the last uh, part they did actually play out in terms of it, profit growth and revenue growth. Like it, it, it seemed to have been a legitimate approach. Yeah, and then I think. You know, the big guys got a little bit maybe greedy, thinking, okay, now, I mean, all companies, all CEOs, if I was the CEO of a big company, I'd think, oh, how do I get growth, right? <laughs> right, um, right. I mean, it's an how actual, do I get bigger? Yeah, how yeah. do I get bigger, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, that's what the board pays you, that's what the shareholders <laughs> pay for. So, so it's what a natural. Gets, gets done. It's the, so I think that's what happened. And then and, and it took a while maybe for the market to sort of realize that the PEs need to shrink, right? Yeah. And that, that's what happened. So, uh, okay. Yeah, that's my so was, it, was it the companies that screwed up, or did investors simply miss? I won't say misunderstand, but did they simply misprice the, the the longevity of growth, the price they were prepared to pay? Because there's plenty of growth companies out there right now, and this is interesting because I think if we took a if we took a you know kind of swab across the ASX now, there'll be some companies that in three years' time we look back and go, man, people really expected growth for much longer than it came about, a la telcos. In others, I mean, and pick the apples or the Googles or the Amazons or the you know the Facebooks even, you know they've had they've had you know decade plus you know growth stories. Sometimes growth goes on for years and, and almost no price is too expensive. Other times the growth kind of comes to a pretty sudden, not necessarily a halt, but it comes back to the, the field pretty quickly. And that's when investors can really have their backsides handed to them. Yeah, I, I know that's a good point. So I think uh, oh, uh, this might, this is like a formula, but maybe a formula is, you know, there's no, there's no formula that's perfect formula. I like that. Get the pens out, guys. Here we go. <laughs> so the, the one formula is that if, if, if the business is small if, and if the market is fragmented, which mm-hmm. basically means there are multiple players, but this market is large enough and there are multiple players, then aggregation can create value. Nice, okay. Right? But there's a limit to the aggregation because once whoever is the one or two big players that become big enough, then mm-hmm. to find the next thing to buy that's going to give you enough growth and enough heft becomes mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. And as you become bigger, it becomes harder and harder to find that growth because your growth was actually not organic, right? The growth was coming right, okay. from... Acquisitions and, and there was a little bit of organic growth. They're laying more fiber and more cable, but sure. that had some sort of kind of finite potential, right? It's fine. Again, you know, I mean, I mean, we're a small country. I mean, we're a big country, mm-hmm. but small country in population-wise, right? I mean, so we, you know, we're only growing. Yeah, eight or nine major population centers exactly. right around the coast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, whatever is the population growth, that's the number of internet connections you need. That's the number of, you know, mobile connections mm-hmm. you need, right? So, I mean, that limits what we can do. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's, so it took maybe investors a while, and, and this is the, you know, there's always a lag with investors a while to sort of readjust their mm-hmm. um, expectations. I so, guess. fair to say we just got carried away. 
for a little bit i mean i mean most of the time i mean you got carried away for a little bit but you know the market mm-hmm. then has self calibrated itself right, right, right. I, mean, i mean over time basically market calibrates itself so you could even pay too much for living the best business yeah interesting i'm going to ask you hey tangent um you have nothing to add to that uh no you've done a great job oh i have, I have a question though so One of the growth stories, and this is, again, because you're, so um, for the listeners who will obviously know if they listen regularly, but Doc is a technologist by trade, um, comes to us with a computer science PhD, so I go to him for all things technology because I just don't understand this stuff. Um, for all of that, you talked about the number of internet connections, you talked about the fact of climate population. And as soon as you said that, I'm reminded of the old, the acronym IOT, the, the so-called Internet of Things. Mm. Everything was supposed to be connected with a with a 3G, 4G, 5G SIM card and and talk, machines were supposed to talk to machines and the explosion in internet connections was supposed to be about the machines rather than about the people. Mm. And if you look at some of the brightest and biggest, you know, the graphs that are up and to the right, there's going to be X trillion connections at some point in the future and, and the telcos are going to make money out of that. Was that so? And maybe we don't. Maybe we can't even know that yet. Maybe it's still going. But where are we with the IoT, the Internet of Things? Is it was mm-hmm. it a pipe dream? Was it always overhyped? Do do the telco players still have kind of another leg of growth, a, a kind of you know one last hurrah, a second act that comes through when IoT really takes off? Is it not going to be worth any money to them? Is it not going to happen? What, what should what should telco investors in particular, or potential telco investors, think about when it comes to the Internet of Things? So that's a great question, actually. That's a little bit of a curveball there. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's um, what I do. Uh, but, but, we do preparation to this podcast, believe it or not. I just go off script all the time. Yeah, this, this, is, this is my bane. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, 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 but here's the, here's the thing. You, you handle it well. I, I think this is a great question because uh, is the IoT, at, as you said, you know, maybe three, four years back, mm. was like this was this like this thing is happening like now. <laughs> totally. Like it's going to happen like today. Yeah, yeah, And like yeah. if you better jump on this bandwagon. Was it Netcom Wireless that went through the roof because was, apparently it was supposed oh, yeah, to be? Oh, yeah. It was like. There were, there, were, there were quite a few. <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, you could just go back and look at the share prices now. That's like, what I'm know. thinking. I'm just right. having flashbacks. Yeah. But, but I think what you're, uh, what you're saying is correct. I, I think that I do believe that um, more and more devices are going to be connected. Mm-hmm. They're going to be mobile connected. So mm-hmm. there is a mobile opportunity there. And I think 5G, for example, will eventually enable a lot of other things. Okay. So there's some growth there. What is not clear to me is that where is the value, right? So the value is the value going to be to the guys who are going to provide the pipe, right? Or the value is going to be to the people who are going to provide the applications, right? So I'm giving an example, right? So every Tesla car mm-hmm. comes with an internet connection, right? I believe right, in right. Australia it is from Telstra. Okay. Right. So if you add more, te- you know, Tesla yeah, cars, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they're going to be on 4G or 5G eventually. They're going to be on Tesla. So on, on got Telstra. a phone in the back pocket. Maybe they've got an iPad. Maybe they've got a Tesla car. So that's three connections. Well, Broadband at home. That means it's a four. Four. But, but, okay. But then you can have, you know, the, the post connections, right? You know, oh, point right, of sales. Of yeah, the, yeah, most okay. of the points of sales are on 4G. But, but the thing right. is that the way the value creation because because they're charging you on the amount of data usage right mm-hmm. so there's maybe like a five dollar fee for a three dollar fee for having the connection and then some if you're doing just payments yep. on the pause yep. that's very little data right because that's right. yeah correct because you're sending a card number and a an uh, amount you know some encrypted something like bits right? of data rather bits of data yeah right, right. yeah a few bites yeah yeah okay. <laughs> so so you're not making uh, so that i think it's hard to, so okay. value creation is mostly going to come from applications okay uh but there is some growth there i get that right, i mean right, right. you know in just number of i guess subscribers if mm-hmm. we say the growth growth is there uh and it's likely to happen and probably going to you know take pace So how would you think about investing around IoT? Would do you have a a sector or a way to play it is it simply too hard not just yet keep an eye on it how, how are you thinking about for our listeners how are you thinking about investing around the IoT space the internet of things 
Uh, so, I mean, one of the problems of investing in a theme mm -hmm. is that you can't, you know, you need to have a basket to invest in a theme. Okay, right? yeah, so, right. one idea. way to invest in IoT would be to invest actually in a chip maker that makes ah. chips that goes into, you know, things that are going to enable these IoT things. Right? So that's it, a better play than actually the, the, the network providers themselves. Yeah, I think so. Right. Because, and because, you know, because the chip maker might, if, if you're providing modems for mm -hmm. 5G, the modems for 5G is probably going to be in every 5G <laughs> device. So, that's a much better play than just right. investing in one. Um, you know, telco. And it's kind of a fixed, it's a fixed price for the for the chip and all that kind of stuff. It's probably a higher price than maybe Telstra are going to get from the, the, the transmission yeah. of data for years, right? Yeah. So thousand dollar Apple phone versus a you know three bucks a month, three bucks a month for the internet. Yeah. It's, a, it's a long time to get that money back. Well, also the scale and you know right. I think so. Okay. That, so that's one way. Or some services that you know, if for example, some company is providing. I mean, there have been a lot of you know hopes and dreams, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they, you could have a company, for example, that could manage say. Um, you know, your energy bills and how you're using and do some demand response management for how, you, mm, you know, mm, things mm. are being used at your home. When should you turn on your... Uh, Man, that's a cool uh, story or, Like, when do you turn on your um, dishwasher? Yeah, air conditioning, right? pool air filter. Conditioning. Right. right, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, there's all these possibilities, but right now, I think it's very hard to know who the winner is, right? Internet-connected dishwasher, that's I mean, the future. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I'm looking... For, I actually wanted this... I wanted a dishwasher, which is actually auto-going-to-load itself. <laughs> that's right. Talk about the Internet of Things. Yeah. The, the Internet of doing stuff for me. The Internet of Chores. <laughs> yeah, I think Internet of... Like, we're, we're calling that phrase now, Doc. The Internet yeah. of Chores. When you hear about this in 2022, guys, you've heard it here first. Yep. You had the opportunity to get ahead of it, but uh, if... It, Passes you uh, by, you can open my I'm all for internet chores. Please come and cook for me, <laughs> wash my clothes, and do my dishes. <laughs> I will pay for that. Oh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the robot in the Jetsons. What was her name? Rosie. Rosie. We had a little Rosie robot to come and do the housework. Although you realize, right, when the robot is going to do that, we might not be here. There is that. Yeah. Down with the robots. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of robots and the future and stuff like that, he says, desperately searching for a segue. This week, an interesting... So we've talked a lot about tech today, Doc, and, and Afterpay is probably the poster child for tech stocks, I think, at the moment. It's certainly... I did some numbers this morning. Three years ago, $633 million market cap. Just recently, $6.8 billion. That's a 10-bagger. That's a very nice 10 In three years. That's awesome. Man, isn't, tell you what. I wish I had Isn't, the, isn't, isn't the wax better than the fang? Apparently. Apparently. Yeah, the old wax socks. Let's not go down that path. We do like tangents, but I'll try and keep us a little, <laughs> little bit of time. So Afterpay kind of grew up a little bit this week. It's made some changes to its management team. It's bought in a Silicon Valley insider. The phrase alone is probably worth a billion dollars for the market cap. <laughs> and... It's appointed an independent chairman. Mm. These are all things that are supposed to happen. I I kind of, I, I don't want to use the phrase kind of putting the adults in charge because A, it's condescending and B, it's overused. And I don't even think it's necessarily necessary to use those words badly together. Mm -hmm. What do you make of the, well, firstly, what are the changes after pain? What do you make of them? Useful, worthwhile, window dressing, responding to investor concerns, What's going on at Afterpay? Is this the beginning of the next phase or is this the kind of sign of maturation? So, 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 okay. So, some interesting things. We'll, we'll touch the independent thing uh, later. But so, the interesting thing was Nick Molnar, who was the basically the CEO, mm -hmm. and uh, Anthony Eisen, who was in another role. They basically switched roles, kind of. Okay. Um, and they were the co-founders, right? Yeah, they're the co-founders. Okay. So, uh, 
It, the way I think Afterpay put it is that this is really, I mean, this is the way they've been doing it before. The roles were just like that. Right, okay. <laughs> and it's, this is just a change of business cards, but nothing has really changed. <laughs> okay. um, so they walked past there the whole way and went, hey, I've been sitting in your chair. You've been sitting in my chair for a while. Yeah, let's should, just, we do, should, we, should we let the ASX know? And they kind of, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's so not an event. Oh, well, it's like, you know, uh, they, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to know. <laughs> nice to know, but, you know, they, they, so I think that's that. Okay. Uh, and the, the thing that you talked about, so they hired um, uh, someone called uh, uh, Freck uh, Fella from Facebook. And you're a big fan of this strategy, if not, I don't know about this guy particularly, but you're a fan of the, the, the move they've made, right? I'm a fan of this move for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, one reason is, you know, so uh, Feller has a history of working with other big tech. So mm -hmm. like F Facebook, of course, a big tech, but has worked previously with e eBay and mm -hmm. PayPal. Yep. So it's got uh, what I call the digital money connection, right? Right. Um, so that's good. And the, the other thing I like about this is, um, this is what I call basically hiring a Silicon Valley insider right. to on a, on a, on a chief operating officer role. So it almost looks like, okay, this is the CEO designate in a few years. You know, one of them probably is going to move into like a chairman role or something like that okay. uh, or a non-executive chairman role and then have maybe, you know, fella run the ship, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, what, I'm, uh, what I find interesting about this is that you've got, basically you were able to lure someone from... Uh, from Facebook, which is like, you know, $400 billion company plus, or $500 billion. <laughs> That's slightly, slightly bigger than half to pay six yeah. or seven million dollars. Uh, like a hundred times smaller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Uh, the, the, and into this role, mm -hmm. um, you have to convince this person that there's big opportunity here, mm -hmm. right? And and the Afterpay, is, as we think, is the biggest opportunity in the US, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a sign of confidence. It's also a sign that you are able to uh, tap into the right mm. talent. Hiring talent is actually a big deal. Mm. And and the best people want to work in the best companies or the companies that have the best opportunities. So, so I sort of look at this as, as a positive thing. I was very pleased with that part. Okay. And uh, yeah, with the independent chair, you know, this is a plus and a minus, right? I mean, if the founders have a lo you know, have controlling stake yeah. in the business, <laughs> an independent chairman can do nothing. And so just just take a half step back. The 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 ASX would say and most corporate governance experts in air quotes would say that an independent chairperson is the gold standard for board governance, right? It, it takes the it, it puts someone who's less of an insider, in theory less conflicted, biased, call it what you will. It's supposed to put someone in charge who has a greater commitment to shareholders and maybe even the truth and not sorry in Afterpay's case I'm certainly not suggesting anything wrong there but as a as a governance thing generally the idea of an independent chairperson is supposed to make sure that there's a there's a, a kind of a disciplined arm's length decision making going on at the board table yeah like I mean uh, there are many companies with independent chairmen which you know basically didn't the independent chairman basically just said yes to everything right, right? I mean so so that's that right it, to me it means is your chairman involved or not mm -hmm. and that chairman could be independent or non-independent and you know are they making the best decisions uh, yep. for the company and yeah i'm not uh, i'm not sold on this uh, i'm not as you say i'm not sold on this continuous disclosure thing and i'm not sold on this independent chairman thing i mm -hmm. mean you know it, it it you know it's neither here nor, nor there for me mm -hmm. uh, in terms of um i think impact uh, you know I, I don't know maybe it's worthwhile to look at uh, mm -hmm. uh, at um research that says whether whether research says the independent chairman helps or not um yeah so yeah that, that that to me was not 
to me, that was not the really clear. I mean, mm-hmm. it's good window dressing to say, oh, now we have an independent chairman, now we have grown up. And, you know, maybe it's one of those things. It's mm-hmm. it's a demonstration by the company saying, oh, look, we have changed roles. We have got a new COO. We've got an independent chairman. Our disclosures are much better, more, mm-hmm. you know, clean. We are an ASX 100 company. Right. I don't know. I mean, to me, that's more like, you know, that's decoration. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am more interested. Yeah. I'm more interested in the results and execution. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give me the results and execution, and I really don't care about the rest. <laughs> I do have something to say about this one, mate, and it's only mostly to agree with you. I I think the, the you know so the thing about rules is they is they deal with the lowest common denominator. R- rules around the world for every possible purpose, not just even for the ASX, not even just for investing, are about making sure that the lowest common denominator of behaviour is is applied. Right, and so at some level, if you've got in theory, a CEO who's who's using, and this is particularly so in the US, where quite often the CEO and the chair are the same person. You've got a CEO is probably wielding outsized amounts of control over the board, um, and you're not necessarily having the right amount of oversight or governance of the company. The board of directors is supposed to be the owner's representative. The management are supposed to be the employees, and that makes a heap of sense at a at a at an arm's length kind of theoretical level. Um, the, the best example, and I have to bring up Warren Buffett at least once per podcast. It's in our mm-hmm. contract. Uh, and so I will just for the sake of saying Buffett has been the CEO and chairman of Berkshire since 1965. Mm-hmm. And someone in 1967 under the current rules would have said, no, Warren Buffett's not independent. We need independent, you know, someone, uh, mm-hmm. someone independent chairman. Um, and similarly, you know, independent directors who allegedly aren't supposed to be connected with the company for more than a certain length of time. They all, you know, in the worst case scenarios, we've got, when you've got malfeasance or wrongdoing at a company, you absolutely don't want those people in charge having too much power. On the flip side, if the guys Eisen and Molnar at, at, at Afterpay or Buffett at Berkshire or Jerry Harvey at Harvey Norman, just pick three examples. If those guys are the ones behind the Bezos? success of the company, Jeff Bezos, right, Amazon, do you, do, you, do you really want to appoint a professional director, someone who's going to come and dot I's and cross T's and, mm. and you know work on paperwork? And, and you kind of think, okay, those things have to be done. But if if you know we we would I think I think you'd agree with me, Doc. We would say investing companies where you believe in, in and trust the management are doing the, the right thing for the long-term future of the company. If you're doing that, you kind of almost independent chairmen aren't or independent chairmen aren't a bad idea. It's just kind of secondary, kind of ter- tertiary issue, right? Yeah. If you've got a bad company, then yeah, sure. But just don't invest in a company that needs an independent chairman. That would be crazy. If you've got a company that's run badly or you don't trust, you don't know, you don't like, then I would say stay away. And if you like it, Make sure the decision makers are the ones with influence because you're backing Bezos, right? It doesn't matter who is the chair of Amazon in and of itself. Bezos is either going to get this right or get this wrong. Hmm. Buffett, uh, again, the guys that touched uh, at Afterpay, same kind of story, surely. Yeah, I think so. I, I agree with I uh, agree, agree, agree with that. Yeah, I think, again, it, it, it probably doesn't make a difference and you want to see the people in charge making the right decisions. And ultimately, it's the decisions that they make and we need to make decisions based on their decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, um, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's and right. and, and, and you know, if we believe in their strategy yeah, and, and yeah. it's working, then that's all we really Particularly care for. Particularly for growth companies, right? You, you're kind of betting on the guys in charge implementing a strategy that, that has taken them this far and will take them further. Absolutely. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, we're going to go finish off with a with a mailbag question. There's too much agreement today. Sorry. I disagree there's not. It was just, just, <laughs> Is that better? Just too much. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, there's not. I disagree. Yeah. I, 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 no, I agree. You're oh, right. you agree? Okay. Yeah, I no, you're wrong. No. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. We good? Yeah, no, I think Okay, we're moving good. on. <laughs> we had a question. Um, so speaking of afterpay, uh, a little bit less than seven days ago, in fact, last Friday afternoon, Afterpay shares took a decent tumble. And so while we're talking about the company, mm. we thought we'd bring a question in from Samuel Turner. Sam hit us up on, I can't remember, I think it was Facebook, remember, or Twitter, either or. He says, hi, Scott and Doc. I'll deal with the obligatory pleasantries first. I wouldn't say they're obligatory. 
That is not obligatory at all. No. Although, although, because he's coming, if he's coming from Facebook and Sam, you know, I'm not th- that big a fan of Facebook. I might, I might just not answer that question. But no, anyway. you want to answer this question. Okay. Sam's going to say some nice things about us. Oh, okay, so. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that takes precedence. Uh, we've never said these pleasantries are obligatory, Sam. They're just uh, non-negotiable. Um, I'll deal with the obligatory pleasantries first. Love the podcast. Thank you, Sam. But in all seriousness, I really look forward each week to your detailed and amusing insights to the world of investing. He said in all seriousness, which yeah, but, is... But did he say only you? Doesn't mean you. No, he said hi, Scott and Dog. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think he means I'm. You're insightful, and I'm amusing, or you're amusing, and I'm insightful. I can't remember which. Okay. Oh, well, either one is fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe we're both. No. I, amusing is also okay. I, I'm happy to be amusing. <laughs> he says I'm writing in regards to the recent shock horror news to the darling of the ASX, Afterpay. Do you think the news of Visa dipping its toes into the world of buy now, pay later services poses a huge threat to Afterpay heading forwards, or? Is the market overreacting? I also found opinion that implied institutional investors sold out for the end of the financial year. I'd love to hear your educated opinions. Well, yours will be educated. Mine will just be an opinion on the matter. Thank you, gentlemen. Samuel Turner. Awesome question, Samuel. And I'm not going to answer this question because Doc is our afterpay expert. So I'm going to throw it to you, mate. Visa is getting into the buy now, pay later space. In theory, going to try and take some of afterpays, either current or maybe even future business away from it. Is this something to be worried about or much ado about nothing? Um, so I'm going to uh, omit um, Samuel. Great question. First, first of all, thank you for that. And uh, the say, well, okay. So uh, the first reaction when a big company like Visa says we're going to do buy now pay later <laughs> is that oh, okay, that's yeah. not good, Oops. right? Um, and and that's a fair enough reaction. I, actually, uh, you know, my first reaction is that, okay, <laughs> this is not good. Uh, no, but if you think about it a little bit, um, it it is not exactly what it looks like, and and I'll explain okay. that. So the first thing to remember is Visa, and I'll use MasterCard as well in the, in the same phrase, Visa and MasterCard basically are payment network companies. Okay, so and I'll, I'll, right. I'll unpack that a bit. So what they enable is when you uh, when you basically tap on that pause mm-hmm. with your Visa... The pause being the point of sale The system. point of sale system, yep. you know, uh, so you're basically paying the merchant that with maybe a Visa card. Yep. Um, I bought the coffee this morning. I put the Visa on the POS machine. Yeah. The coffee mob gets my $4.90. That's yeah. how much it cost this morning. Yeah, uh, $4.90. And that, that money then basically flows from the POS yep. through to the bank somehow, right? right? So that so the Visa basically and, and MasterCard basically run what I would call a, a highway. They run okay. the highway through which the payments are going to flow. Right. Mm-hmm. They also own the Visa brand, yep. and Mastercard owns the Ma- Mastercard and Mastery and a few other brands. Mm-hmm. Right. They basically allow banks to use those brands mm-hmm. and the card mm-hmm. in return for a fee. Right. Right. So the lending is actually done by the banks. Right. So, so if I've got a Visa card, the four dollars ninety I just spent this morning, my bank is on the hook for the four dollars ninety. I've got to pay them back. Visa kind of just facilitate the transaction. They're, they're the, the Australia post of the transaction. They, they, they pick up the letter from one end, they drop it at the other end, yeah. and they say, good luck, guys, knock yourselves out. And to use the Australia post branded system, you have to pay Visa a fee. Did yeah, I get that so roughly right? That's correct. Okay. Right. And they do other things like, you know, they, they would help you with fraud detection. They, yeah, right, you know, right. they you know They'll do the encrypted transmission and all those sort of things. They do mm-hmm. all the good mm-hmm. things. Like right. It's like, you know, paying a toll on the right, highway. Right. So, and so, that means you can use your cards overseas and in different different supermarkets, different retailers. You don't have to worry about, do you take 
the Bank of Melbourne credit card or the St George Bank credit card or the Bank of yep. Queensland credit card, you say I'm going to use my Visa card, yep. knowing that the the retailers have to have separate arrangements with all the different banks. Yeah, they have the arrangement with Visa and they connect the two pieces of the pie. Yep. So this is a worldwide highway for payments. That's right? pretty good. That's a very good thing. No lucrative business. I would have <laughs> that's thought. a very lucrative business. <laughs> um, somebody should look up the Mastercard chart <laughs> to see how lucrative. Oh, really? Yeah, the Mastercard. Just look at the share price Mastercard chart wow, over okay. ten years. That, that has made squillion bucks Ooh, for people. Okay. Um, uh, disclosure, I own MasterCard shares, but I have not made squillion bucks on it. I will clarify that as well. Right. Um, a- anyways, so so now if you know that, the thing to remember is Visa and mm-hmm. MasterCard do not provide credit, the banks do. Right. Right? Now, Afterpay ah. might say that they don't provide credit, but they do. Oh, they do. <laughs> okay. It's all their balance. What's the difference, right? So Afterpay, the debt is on Afterpay's balance sheet. Yes. And with Visa, the debt is on the bank's balance bank's sheet. Bank's balance sheet. Right, okay. Right. Now, and, and in fact, if, if like I bought stuff online mm-hmm. um, using Afterpay, I gave Afterpay my Visa card mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they can charge me the installments on there. Okay. Right. So in a way, Visa actually never loses in this transaction. <laughs> Unless you link your, your Amex to the Afterpay or your MasterCard, right? Yeah, well, in which case it does. But, okay. you know, but I mean, one of those guys are going to make money, right? Either it's Amex or Visa or MasterCard is going to make it's money. It's also fair to say that in Afterpay's case, a decent number of the transactions actually go to an FPOS or, or bank account. Yeah. And so Visa actually, what Visa's worried about is if people start to link Afterpay in their bank account, all of a sudden, they cut Visa out of the story altogether. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. So what what Visa is basically enabling is Visa Visa is saying we are going to enable a bunch of APIs mm-hmm. to which essentially they're going to expose the banks, which will allow the banks to offer effectively Visa products with buy now pay later functionality. Ah, so does Visa carry the debt, or the banks are carrying the debt? The banks are still carrying the debt, right? So, remember, because again, Visa is not carrying the debt. So right? Visa is basically <laughs> launching a new a new highway. The same highway with right. more features. <laughs> okay, it's the way. same highway with and another lane. On the highway, can lane. I torture the, the yeah, metaphor? It's, it's the it's like the you know like the bus lanes, right? Okay, yep, yeah, yep. it's like the bus lane equivalent. And they're yep. saying, okay, we're going to have a, be, a buy now, pay later <laughs> lane, and we'll leave it to the various uh, issuers to actually figure out how they're going to offer it. Ah, right. So, so is that a is that a non? Um, Non-announcement then? Is there really anything they're announcing at all? No, no, I don't think it's a non-announcement. I think okay. it, it's a couple of things. A Visa announcing something like this mm-hmm. is an indication. It's, you know, when the big guy takes notice of you and it basically says, you have arrived. Okay. <laughs> so in a way, I'm saying Afterpay has arrived and therefore into the US basically has been noted and Visa is basically saying, okay, we need to do something about it. That's number one. That's right. good. That's a check, check mark in the Afterpay column. They have arrived on the big stage. Okay. Somebody big has taken note of it. <laughs> uh, and they're trying to come up with a response. The response part, though, I think, you know, you're basically leaving it up to the banks. Well, the banks are really good at adopting stuff, but they're really not good at doing stuff, right? This is generally that's true for most point. banks. Yeah, 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 that's right. Right. So, the, you know, so I think there's going to be a bunch of different products they're going to try. It's mm-hmm. going to have the same sort of issues that mm-hmm. we have currently. And the people who are using Afterpay, they're using Afterpay because they don't want to get this credit check and all these things. And they don't want to have debt from the banks right, because the credit right. credit card means debt. Although, I mean, Afterpay is also debt. But, it's, you know, it's all it's all about... <laughs> it's, in, all in, it's, it's all in the selling. <laughs> it's all in the selling. It's all in the branding and all totally. in the positioning, right? right so yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. completely different so position. just have to pay money in a week's time. <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's, it's just a different type of positioning. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and sometimes positioning, basically, That's man. Right. Right. Done well. I think the biggest risk I see of this is that if if there is some transa- if if there is uptake of the bank type of products or yep. other people yep. that try to roll out these products using Visa and Master or maybe eventually Mastercard, um, then the risk is that know your customers will mm-hmm. become a more central thing. Oh. 
right? right. And that's so why the bigger it, buy now, pay later gets. Yeah. The greater the threat of regulation. And which, which is, I think, a legitimate requirement. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, again, I've never said that you shouldn't have no, that. No, we've certainly said that before. You've said that yeah. before. And and I think that would create some friction to the right. current buy now, pay later products from Afterpay, right? And I think that could actually slow down growth opportunities. Interesting. Right. So, so so I think that's the lay of the land, right? So you're it's, not worried about it taking, taking business away from Afterpay. Maybe it takes some of the future sales away, but the bigger issue is the rate of growth may slow? The rate of growth might slow, if, you know, depending on what sort of regulations get introduced right. and you know again it also depends on what sort of products compete in the market space but you know right now it looks like you know afterpay still has you know basically the field to itself and right. can keep running and to be uh, fair if afterpay in, in five years time is 10 times the current size rather than 20 times the current size well, it's no, still a nice problem to have right it's a very very nice problem to have we'll take it i'll, I'll take five times even <laughs> all right so bottom line all of all of this said both the changes to afterpay's management and and, and board and the potential possible maybe threat from hmm. visa how do you think about Afterpay now compared to 12, or no, 12, 12, 7, 10 days ago? Right. So, so Afterpay is, is a recommendation of ours in, uh, in, in one of the services that I run, mm-hmm. uh, Motley Full Pro. Yes. It's a, you know, without going into too much specifics, for us, I still, and from the very beginning, mm-hmm. you know, we've made a couple of buys of Afterpay. We've always said we look at Afterpay as a high reward, high risk position. Right, okay. I would even go so far as to say this is one of the highest risk positions we have. Because of the business or because of the price? Well, not to, well, a combination of things. So the okay. price is the price is up there, mm-hmm. right? The business is risky because there is all these issues around you know know your customers, you know whether it's a credit product or not, it's a credit product, you know competition. Right. It's there's a lot of uncertainty around it. Its opportunity is huge. Uh, it's tapping. It's mm-hmm. doing something really nice about being frictionless. It, it all those things are there. It's got momentum. It's got a brand. After pay it is mm-hmm. like the thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, you mm-hmm. can just after pay right. it. Right? Yeah, yeah, true. right. So those things matter, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just Google it. Yep. After pay it, right? Yep. So so it's got all those things in its favor mm-hmm. um you know and and i think yeah so it's it's worthwhile for we have a small position mm-hmm. relatively small it's not really small but it's small it's bigger now because it's gone up <laughs> yeah it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, well. it's become a little bigger yep. it's you know it, it, so yeah it's something that i i would caution people you know this is not something that i would be having a huge position in because <laughs> yep. it is just risky, yep. right? And, and the thing is- But you're is, happy with it being a small part of a diversified portfolio? I'm happy with it being a small part of a diversified portfolio, largely, you know, nice. you follow it. And, you know, as as the story unfolds, you can always add, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're not going to get maybe the 50 back or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, um, yeah, the, considering the risk and the reward, we think a small position is worthwhile to have, um, but I wouldn't make it significantly bigger, at least Very at the current, current position. Very good. Thank you, sir. Mate, that brings us to the end of our podcast. The good news or the bad news, depending on which way you look at it, and it's probably good news for us, next couple of weeks we're going to be away. I'm going to be on my way to and from Birdsville in southwestern Queensland. You're going to be on your way to and from Italy mm-hmm. via Canada. So we're having a couple of weeks off, fools. We have and are going to pre-record a couple of weeks' worth of podcasts, so do hit us up on Twitter and Facebook as usual. Please keep listening in. We've got a couple of Episodes in the can, as they say in the official language. We're, we're, we're kind of radio professionals these days, so we've got some episodes in the can. Um, next week is pretty cool. Next week, we're going to actually take a bit of a deep dive into some kind of investing and business concepts and issues, topics of um, kind of hopeful, hopefully interest and certainly stuff that's pretty relevant right now. So I'm really looking forward to you hearing that one. We've recorded that already. I know how good that is. And we're about to record, although you'll hear this in a couple of weeks, a full mailbag episode. So for those of you who love our mailbag as much as we do, and hopefully that's most, if not all of you, we're going to have a full mailbag episode coming in a couple of weeks. And the week after that, 
We'll be back with you live. So that's pretty exciting. We hope you enjoyed that. As always, though, you can hit us up on social media, on Twitter at TMFScottP, on at, sorry, Anir Bahan Mahanti, or at The Motley Fool AU. Hit us up on Facebook, find The Motley Fool Australia Facebook page, leave us a message, send us a direct message. We're open for all that kind of good stuff. If you need to, you want to use the snail mail, not the snail mail, the, the email, but the old school kind of direct email, info at fool.com.au will get your question or comment directly to us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. That does wrap us up. But before we go, as always, make sure, especially while we're away, do us a favour. We're going to be away. Give us some good news to come back to. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Go to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast in iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. Sign up, as I said. Tell your friends. Leave us a rating. Throw us some stars. And jump on to www.fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. Triple M. And you can get some foolishness straight to your inbox even while we're away. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of pre-recorded Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.